Uh, my name is Jason. I'm part of the Dream Team here at Connect, and it's my honor to get to host our service this morning. We're excited about the next and continuation of our You Ask For It series. Uh, before we jump in, can we just welcome our, our Framingham campus and online viewers? So glad that they've chosen to spend part of their day with us. Just awesome. I uh, you know I have a special affinity for what's going on in Framingham. I live in Framingham. Uh, I coach the basketball team at Framingham. So I just love what's going on at our Framingham campus. Super exciting stuff. Uh, so I mentioned today we're going to continue with our You Ask For It series. How many have enjoyed You Ask For It so far? Good. A few of you. Good. Some of you getting something out of it. Um, last week, Pastor Derek mentioned that Pastor Deej said that you guys have asked a quote-unquote buttload of questions. And I just want to clarify a quick thing. Pastor Deej is from Brazil. So there's a little accent there. And what he said was boatload of questions. So I just wanted to make sure you knew Pastor Deej wasn't saying buttload in reference to the quantity of something. In particular, the questions the churchy pastors have asked. He, he wouldn't do that. Um, but you guys have asked a boatload of questions. Um, so what we've done over the last few weeks is just kind of just answered them. Uh, a lot of the questions asked can warrant their own series, but we've tackled things like, you know, family and, and parenting and questions that you guys have asked have covered finances, everything from heaven, Jesus, and God, and what about this? And they've been awesome questions. Um, and if you guys haven't been able to be here each week, you can jump on our website. We've got links and opportunities for you to go ahead and view those messages. But today, we're going to take a bunch of questions or another boatload of questions, and we've got a live panel that are going to answer that. They've got a live panel in Framingham that are going to tackle some questions, and we've got folks that are going to jump on the platform behind me and answer some questions. You guys good with that? All right. So the first person that's going to be on our panel, whether he likes it or not, uh, our Ashland campus pastor, Pastor Mark, is going to be up here. Our next panelist, uh, youth and young adults pastor, he's got a bunch of nicknames he uses that I refuse to say in front of people, um, Pastor Devin Fry, right? DZ and all that stuff. I'm too old to say it. It sounds weird when I do. Um, and then finally, uh, our associate pastor here at Ashland in Framingham, Pastor Deej, is going to be our final panelists. Are you guys excited? Nervous? What are we feeling? I'm just trying to make sure we're on time this service. That's what yeah, I really want to do. Yeah. You guys got three pastors on a platform and a time clock. How many know that's fun already? Um, what, what, what they don't know is I see these big numbers, 35, 23, 22, 21. It's counting down, and we can see it. We just ignore it. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> That'll, I'll have to answer for that later as the host of today. It's my job to keep them on track. Here we go. First question. Who wins in the 100-yard dash between the three of you with no warm-up just right now? Who wins? You see how old these guys are? Come on now. <laughs> the 100-yard dash? 100-yard dash. Although I think PMAC is pretty sleek. You're a runner, aren't you? You're, I know if you're a bird it, watcher. If it was longer than 100, I would, I would definitely win. You would, probably would, actually. But 100, I don't know. I'm a sprinter. <laughs> I'm not a runner. Do you know what we mean by 100-yard dash, Pastor Deach? <laughs> no, no, no comment. <laughs> <laughs> got a boatload of opinions there. Cool. Well, good. Like I said, you guys have put it in a ton of questions. Um, all of these questions could be messages and series, and there's a lot to it. So we're going to do our best to answer these succinctly and in time, but again, they've just been awesome questions. So we thank you for submitting them, and we don't want to trivialize our answers by being quick, but we want to make sure we get you the most and the most time. Amen? Yeah. All right, so the first question, we're going to start with Pastor Mark. Um, how do I find my purpose, the path for my life? How can I find the right career according to the purpose God has for me? Um, that's, a, that's a great question. You know, the, uh, I, feel like, I feel like I can't answer that question without uh, uh, giving sort of this cheap plug for next steps, especially steps three and four where we do testing, uh, personality testing and spiritual gift inventory. Because this issue of, um, like, what's my career? What's the right thing for me to do? Here's what the right thing to do is, is utilize the gifts that God has given you to make a difference in the world. Yeah, scripture talk about, Romans chapter 6 talks about the fact that there are, um, Romans chapter 12 has this analogy of the body, and each part has its own specific function. When everybody's, when all the parts are working, then the bigger whole is working. And, um, you know, as pastors, we're simply called to 
equip people for works of service. And so, and what that really points to, to the fact that the, the end game is not Sunday morning. The end game is life. And, um, and so, for somebody trying to navigate their way, trying to figure out what am I supposed to do with my life? What's my career supposed to be? I'd say that is you need to start by learning about yourself. How has God made you? What are you like? What's your personality like? What are your spiritual gifts? What are your um, particular talents or interests? And then how, and then start using those. And I think that God is not, um, so I had a 25-year career in the land conservation business, in the environmental field. I became a Christian believer when I was 18. Um, it wasn't until I was in my early 40s that God called me into the ministry. And so, um, but does that mean that there was 20 years of wasted time? No, not at all, because God's given me gifts that he expects me to use. And so um, I don't have a gift, the gift of, spiritual gift of encouragement. But if I did, what God cares most about is that I'm encouraging people. Wherever it is that I, whether I own a business and have lots of employees or whether I teach or whether I coach Little League Baseball and just have some job on the side to collect a paycheck, uh, the, the key is, is whether I'm using the gifts that God has given me. And we know that people change careers really multiple times in their life. And, and oftentimes I think that God grows us up. We start here and we're like stepping into our gifts and trying things and we're developing as a person and then we get to a point and God says, great, now I've got a new assignment for you. And he ships us over here. So I, don't, I think that it's wrong for us to feel like there's only one thing. Unless I figure out this thing that God wants me to do with my life, I'm somehow um, out of his will. I'm going down the wrong path. That's not the case. But where we can miss it is if we actually don't learn about ourselves and pursue using the gifts that God has given us. Good answer. And I think, just so you guys know, the biggest part, I believe, in my opinion, is just investigating who you are. A lot of people, when we first become Christians, watch someone on the platform and think, that's who I have to be like. But then we're confronted with the reality that we're very different from them, and that's okay. So learning who you are, introvert, extrovert, are you more sensitive? Are you, do you not encourage people or have that gift of compassion? Because it is a gift. But how what God has wired you can be used wherever you are. So don't be afraid to investigate and learn more about you, because that's a good thing. Amen? Uh, next one, Pastor Devin. I'm tempted to ask any litany of things right now. Bring I won't. it. I Come won't. on. I won't. I won't. Um, Did you guys know Jason was my youth pastor, by the way? I don't know if you guys know that. So, um, that's, why a large him, that's why it took of, him so long to figure out what he wanted to do. Yeah, right. <laughs> honestly, if you, if you have any problems with me, it's because of him, honestly. So <laughs> the reason I'm, I'm sorry kind of jacked up I'm is sorry. he was my youth pastor. No, I'm just kidding. He was a phenomenal youth pastor, and so it's cool to, to be able to do a panel together. It is. By the way, I think is. your hair and your jeans look great today, by the way. They're... Um, he was, he was referencing how mine are too skinny. I don't know well, if you I guys know, know it's just, this. It's because I could dial your phone. If you stood up and your phone was in your pocket, I could dial it. <laughs> and I just think that means... Well, I could, run, are, uh, I could run in I a, just uh, think that means they might be too tight. <laughs> Stop hating on skinny jeans, people, okay? <laughs> I could run in a potato sack race in Jason's clothes, so it's fine. <laughs> oh, next question. <laughs> See the whole time thing? That's why we can't oh, yeah, time. That's why we're late. Oh, yeah. 32, like, 31, <laughs> 30. All right. It's this, I mean, this question, again, there's a lot. It's, it's heavy. It's a heavy question. Um, why does God allow suffering for people that don't necessarily deserve it? Um, and this person kind of elaborated on their question with a little bit of a personal story. It says, I was in an abusive relationship where my fiancé at the time was unfaithful, and the other woman and I ended up pregnant at the same time. Two years later, I've got a one-year-old. I'm sleeping on a couch at my parents' house, still suffering as a result of his betrayal and abuse. How do I forgive and move on? Where was God during that time, and where is he now? It's a loaded question. Yeah, for sure. Uh, first of all, thank you, everybody, for submitting the questions. I think it's so valuable and so important. And uh, you're not going to get any answers if you don't get questions. And so uh, I think it's such a valuable one. Um, let me just preface it by saying uh, a lot of these questions that are submitted uh, we do not have enough time or ample time to be able to unpack some of this stuff. And so a lot of these are not just sermons. There actually should be series dedicated to it. And so I'm going to try and attach a couple of resources for you guys to do some extra homework. But uh, I'm going to try and give you as many bullet points, little nuggets as I can to kind of practically help you be pragmatic so you can walk away here better and, and fully equipped. So when it comes to suffering, uh, something I shared in the first service that wasn't even in my notes, but I think it's important, 
is that pain is inevitable, but misery is optional. And so scripture promises that you will have hard times ahead. It actually says in this world you will have trouble, John 16. Uh, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And so I think it's important that we even switch the question. And so it's not why is this happening to me. It's when this is happening, how do I go through this? And so I think the real question people are really asking is, um, is God good even when life isn't good? I think that's the real question. It's not so much wh- and why am I suffering. You are going to suffer. It's, it's a part of the culture we live in for three different reasons. And if you want to write some down some notes, write these down. Here are three different types of suffering. There's common suffering. And so common suffering is a result of the cursed world that we live in. So because of sin, uh, there is sickness, death, uh, just things happening in, in the world today that are just a result of our cursed world. And so that's why uh, we have somebody in our, in our family right now going through some mental health issues. And it's really sad to watch, to be honest. Um, somebody full of faith uh, that I've looked up to for a long time is really, is really struggling, suffering right now. And uh, this is just a result of the cursed world that we live in. And so the reason sin, uh, when sin came into the world, death came into the world as well. So it's common suffering. Then there's Christian suffering. And so for those that are believers in the room, people of faith in the room, uh, you got to just know that you have an enemy that hates your soul, hates your life because you took his job responsibility. But one thing I just want to encourage you with is the fact that just because you have an enemy doesn't mean the enemy has you. Man, I'm preaching real good. And so I think what happens a lot of times from platforms is people can tend to fear or manipulate people into getting scared of the devil, therefore coming to church or giving money and stuff like that. My Bible says that the devil is under my feet. And so I've been given all power and all authority to really eradicate the demonic forces. And so whether you are new to the faith or not, let me just tell you something. There is an enemy. He hates your soul. He hates your life. And he has come to three job descriptions to steal, kill, and destroy, John 10.10. And so I just want to let you know there is uh, common suffering, Christian suffering, and the last one would just be consequential suffering. And so this is just a result of, of foolish decision making. Uh, a lot of times we'll, we'll blame the devil on things that actually were just dumb decisions on our part. And so I'm not saying that's everybody in this room, but those are three types of suffering. So maybe you can categorize what you're going through in some of those areas. Uh, but I just want to tell you, this is the reason why we have community. This is why we're a community of faith around here, and we're not just a platform ministry. This is why you should get in small groups. This is why you should come to the altar. The Bible talks about how you should come to the altar, uh, have the elders pray for you, anoint you with oil, and you will be healed. And so the Bible also says in many different areas, but in Isaiah specifically, he says, for my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways. And so there's no specific answer I could give you to say, this is why you went through that. Uh, let me tell you something. God did not cause it, but he can certainly use it. So all the suffering and the issues that you're going through, I'm telling you, uh, God may not have caused that thing, but he can certainly use that. And something I was sharing with our youth ministry, um, Natalia and I had somebody on our couch recently, uh, somebody that's in our student ministry. Uh, She got raped twice last year, and she's been molested multiple times in her life. And so we were just telling her, listen, God can use your wounds for somebody else's wisdom. And I'm not saying he caused those issues to happen, but let me tell you something. I'm not going to allow you to be miserable the rest of your life. There's a time for grieving, but there's a time to get back up. Is what Ecclesiastes talks about. There's different seasons in life. And so I just want to let you know, although suffering is inevitable, misery is optional. And I want to just tell you something. Like, you can get prayer for something. You can get prayer for that. God can heal it. God can use it. And God can redeem it. Amen, everybody? Yeah. So good. I think one of the things you said, Dev, um, just in that, it's like a perspective switch, right? Pain is inevitable, but misery is optional. And I think when you're asking the question why, it's easy to stay in that misery place. But when you switch it to what can God do through this, that's when you can kind of walk into totally, that. Totally. So good. And just so one good. thing one thing I'll just add is this. is even just our whole faith. The reason you're in this room is because of one man's suffering. Mm. So because of one man's suffering, all of humanity has now received salvation. And so what could it be that God is allowing you to go through something like this? And he's saying, I want you to suffer I want you to go through some of this stuff because somebody else can watch you go through it and get better because of it. And so that's why scripture says that we are victorious. We are overcomers. Come on, everybody. (laughs) We're overcomers. And so I believe if you can overcome something, somebody else can because they saw you go through it. So good. Yep. So good. Good stuff. Um, Next question. And this one, again, from our community. So obviously a relevant topic. If a husband, Pastor Deach knows 
the Bible, knows everything he needs to know. But if a husband chooses to move on with another woman, can his ex-wife remarry again? And how do they feel or how do they deal with feeling like it's offensive towards God for doing so? All right. Um, that's a great question. That, that's a topic that is very wide. Um, and trying to tackle it in five minutes is very difficult. Um, but what I would say is before even answering that question, if I was talking to the person asking that question, I would actually ask a boatload of questions um, before I was able to give them an answer, simply because there are so many scenarios and nuances that come into play. So I'm going to do my best to kind of give you guys a few of, of of things that can kind of guide you through that, whether or not it's sinful behavior or not to remarry. Make sense? Um, so in short, the answer is yes and no. Okay, so yes, you can remarry, no, you can remarry. Helpful. It all depends on, <laughs> on, the, on the kind of scenario here. So on a practical level or, or a technical level, so, some of you guys are wired to just, I just want to know yes or no. Okay, so I'm going to give you a couple of answers that can hopefully satisfy you um, in your curiosity. So on a practical level, it's important to know that divorce is only permissible by the Bible uh, in the presence of one of the three big A's. Okay, three big A's. Adultery is one of them. Second one is abandonment. And the third one is abuse. Okay, so those are the only three grounds for divorce that, that the Bible will condone it. The Bible will allow you uh, to do it without sin. Make sense? Uh, now, if one of the big A's uh, was present in, in the relationship, and that's why it resulted in um, a divorce, you may remarry once you, the divorce is final. Now, I would take very careful counsel, and I would talk to a pastor on how to navigate that. Now, you may remarry if you were the victim of one of those th the, the three big A's. If you were the perpetrator, okay, either you committed adultery or abandoned somebody or abused somebody, uh, and because of that, it ended up in divorce, then there's, there's a few other things that we need to talk about. Make sense? But first of all, if you were the perpetrator, I just want to make sure that you know that God's grace is enough. God's grace covers all of our mistakes. When uh, the Bible doesn't say that, you know, if you confess your sins to God, he is just and faithful to forgive and cleanse you from all unrighteousness except if you committed adultery or accept if you're abandoned your spouse. The Bible doesn't say that. So it does not fall outside of the grace of God. However, I would walk that through carefully. Make sense? Now, if you were the perpetrator, God's grace is available, like I said, but you should do everything in your power, everything possible to reconcile with the person that perhaps rightfully left you, okay, and, and divorced you. You should do everything you possibly can to reconcile. Now, if your spouse, if you were the perpetrator and your spouse moved on and is married to somebody else, then according to the Bible, you are free to remarry. Again, walk that carefully and under guidance uh, of a pastor. If your spouse has not moved on, has not married somebody, you should not remarry. You should not remarry because there is still a chance of that spouse decided to go back to you and, and the relationship to be restored. Make sense? So we should always be striving to restore the relationship. If that spouse gets married, then you would be free to remarry. Or if that spouse dies. I know it's a little bit morbid, but that's what the Bible says. Make sense? Um, and if they, if they die or if they end up getting married to somebody else, it kind of closes that window of reconciliation. Um, if your spouse has not moved on, you should definitely wait until they do, until that window is closed. If divorce is not final, this is important. If the divorce is not final, neither one of you can get married because that's polygamy and that's against the law, okay? So you don't want to do that. Um, now, if the divorce is final, and this is another scenario here. If the divorce is final and there wasn't any of the big three A's. There was no adultery. There's no abandonment. There's no abuse. And it's just, and unfortunately, the society we live in today, it's very common to see, you know, irreconcilable uh, differences, I think it's called. Um, uh, yeah, like, you know, he just does not, you know, put the cap on the toothpaste so we can't live together. Um, so eventually they end up being divorced. But It is a big deal, by the way. Put the cap <laughs> on the toothpaste. You know, turn it. he does not fold his socks. Um, whatever the deal is, 
if the three big A's were not presence, present, you should do everything to reconcile. Both parties should do everything to reconcile. And they are, both parties would be free to remarry once one of the parties moved on with somebody else or, again, has passed away. Now, one question that is very common, too, is can I at least date? Because we had people that say, like, you know, me and my ex-husband or me and my ex-wife, we're, we're very good friends, and we really just grew apart, and, and we're just, like, taking long because of all the implications and money implications, taxes, all that stuff. But we are definitely going to get a divorce, uh, and we are in very good terms and blah, blah, blah. Can I still date? The answer is no. According to the Bible, the answer is no. You cannot even date somebody while you're still married to somebody. Make sense? Because that's, according to the Bible, that's adultery. And you don't want to be, you know, in that situation. So you cannot even date somebody if, if that union, if that marriage has not dissolved according to the law, if it has not come to an end um, with a full divorce being filed and finished. Make sense? So that is kind of on a on a practical level on the on the do's and don'ts. And there are a couple of other ones again, but I don't want to be here for another three hours talking about this. Uh, and I bet you guys don't either. But uh, on a principle level, I just want you guys to know on a principle level, God God hates divorce. God really does. You know, the Bible says in Malachi two sixteen, if I'm not mistaken, I hate divorce. Says the Lord. So it cannot get more clear than that. Um, and and we, we as Christ followers, we need to hate what God hates and we need to love what God loves. Now God hates divorce, but God doesn't hate divorced people. Make sense? God doesn't hate the divorcee. He, hates, he simply hates the act of divorce. Though divorce may be permissible, that's another one that's important to know. Though divorce may be permissible by the Bible in the presence of the three big A's that I talked before, um, divorce is never desirable by God. Even though there might be adultery in your, in your marriage or you, you stumble upon that in your marriage or, or even abuse or, or, or abandonment, God's desire is not for you to get divorced. God's desire is for you to exercise the same grace that you've been given towards your spouse and reconcile. And that, and that be a testimony of God's power, love, and grace in and through your life. Make sense? So somebody doing something wrong, it's not, we would never advise you to get divorced. But it is permissible by the Bible. Make sense? Now, I'm going to close with this. Wherever you are in your journey... Because I know many people here have divorced in the past. And whether the big three A's were present or not. And then all of a sudden now you got married. And then now you're thinking, oh my gosh, I committed adultery according to the Bible because of this, this, and that. And now I don't want to put guilt on you. And so I want to make sure that you know that God's grace is enough. It doesn't fall outside of God's grace. As long as you repent. You recognize that there's something wrong. You repent. You ask God for forgiveness. He is faithful and just to forgive and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Many people um, focus on the, you know, he's faithful and just to forgive. So you're forgiven. But many people lack the, the, the focus on the second part that says and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Which means it, it's like it never happened. It just it disappears from your life. So don't carry that because it's not yours to carry. That weight is not yours to carry. Make sense? And... There's a big difference, too, between the act of adultery or the state of adultery. Or the act of sin or the state of sin. And I want to make sure that you know, if you ask forgiveness for whatever wrongs you've done in your past, your current marriage, whether it started the right way or not the right way, if you ask for forgiveness, your current marriage is blessed by God. So I want to charge you, if you are in a situation where you've been divorced and now you're married, again, I just want you to, ch to charge you to have and lead a godly marriage in a way that honors God and brings glory to Him. Amen? Yeah, so good. Such a big subject. And honestly, the question being asked, we're hoping that you guys are in community. It's one of the reasons it's important, right, to be able to ask that question in a community where you're one-on-one -on -one and you can see that someone doesn't reject you or put guilt on you unintentionally is so big. So great question, great answer, so much to that. Um, Pastor Mark, this is a delicate question. Devin clearly is not an outdoorsman. You are. I want to know how long you think Devin would survive outdoors. 
once the hair gel is gone, <laughs> the wheels are going to start coming off pretty quick. <laughs> Suavecito lasts forever. <laughs> it's a firm hold. <laughs> uh, no, all seriousness. This is um, a question I want to ask that I think, I think it's one of those things where everybody knows somebody that knows somebody. It's one of those one degree or two degree separation things. And it's a, tr it's a truly a sensitive topic. And I know that all of us in here know somebody. Um, but it's the topic of suicide. And it talks about if Christians commit suicide, where do they end up? Do they go to heaven? Why or why not? In the first service, I had the abortion question. I'm not sure which is easier. <laughs> I, uh, um, <laughs> you, you know... I think that there's a lot of questions I feel like that when they get answered, they, they get asked of us, the quick answer is the wrong answer. doesn't matter what the answer is. It's the wrong answer if it's quick. Um, if somebody asked me that question on a one-on-one -on -one situation, I'd say, why are you asking this question? Because it may just be they have this sort of an intellectual curiosity, genuinely speaking, or maybe it's because they're thinking about killing themselves, and they're, they're trying to figure out some stuff. And so that's why I, I think you have to dig in really deeper to that. You, um, um, there's, a, there's a verse, I'm trying to pull it up here. I think it's um, 1, John, 1 John 1, 9, that within some churches, it, it puts this question mark in play about what, what's the, the, the eternal condition of somebody who commits suicide. It's 1 John 1, 9. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And let me start again. But, but if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. And so the question that, that sits around that theologically is, hold on. So a person who commits suicide, if, if murder is sinful and suicide is murder, therefore, if you kill yourself, you're sinning, but you don't have a chance to repent of it. So then, therefore... You can't go to heaven, which then, um, but every single Christian believer goes through life with sins, including pastors, goes through life with sins that we're aware of, that we don't repent of, and that we're unaware of, that we don't repent of. And so, um, yeah, Jesus died on this cross for all sins. There's not an exception. There's not an asterisk sitting there. Like, oh, but if you do this, it doesn't, you're not forgiven. If you do this, you're not forgiven. The Bible talks about the, there is one unforgivable sin, which is blaspheming the Holy Spirit, which is, means not having belief in, in, in Christ. And so, so this issue of what happens with suicide. So I don't believe that if, if a person commits suicide and they're a Christian believer, they're suddenly not going to heaven. But that's not permission to commit suicide when walk, you're walking through something hard in life. I would fathom that every single person in the, this room at some point in time said to themselves something like, it would just be easier if I were dead. That doesn't mean that being dead is the right thing. It just means you're going through something hard. And you know what? There is light at the end of the tunnel. Some tunnels are shorter than others. And so, um, and... Every suicide leaves behind two things. One, grieving families that will literally never get over it. And secondly, a calling that God had on this person's life that will be unfulfilled. When God's done with us, he brings us home. Until then, like, I might be in a situation where I don't like what I'm doing right now. I feel like I'm unfulfilled. God has a plan. And he's, he wants to use me. Maybe I've gone off the rails somewhere where maybe I'm not paying attention. Maybe I'm living selfishly or whatever. But I'm still alive. It's because God actually has lives that he wants to change and bless through me. And he wants me to do things. So anyway, um, so circle back around because um, my answers are a little shorter than DJ's. So I'll conclude with. <laughs> and so, so I'd say. Why do people talk about committing suicide? Because they're going through something rugged. In reality, or they think it's rugged. They, from their perception, it's a big deal. Um, so I'd say, come and talk to a pastor. This is, um, we can get past this. 
You know, I was talking to somebody the other day, and I said, you know, if I get to that point, I would just, like, pack up my tent and move to Colorado. You know? You know what I mean? It's like, it's okay. It's okay to say, I need a major change in my life. That's okay. So. And I think, obviously, just a tough question to answer, but when you said asking why you're asking the question, I think evaluating an opportunity when someone asks you such a pointed scary question to not flinch and what are you thinking what are you but just to say well why are we asking that you immediately esteem the person asking the question that they're probably embarrassed to be asking anyway and it's just a great opportunity as christians to say you're still important and you still matter and the feeling you're feeling i've felt it's just taking you to a different place and i want to help you find out why and i just think that's a great way to do that um pastor devin uh next question and then we've got probably get one probably two more one more here. I'll go first. Go ahead, please. Oh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Pastor Devin, why is forgiveness, huge topic, why is forgiveness important, and how do you know when you've completely forgiven someone? Um, so my dad and I were talking about this recently, but uh, I think similar to what love is is what forgiveness is, where love is a decision, it's not a feeling, and forgiveness is a decision, it's not a feeling. And so scripture has a lot to say about it. One, one thing I, I'll just highlight in Matthew 6, it says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father won't forgive your sins. And so that verse right there, sometimes people forget about it. And we, we often say there's, there's one unforgivable sin. It's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, which just basically in context means uh, the continual rejection against God's workings. And so... Uh, that scripture identifies that there are two unforgivable sins. It is unforgivable. You can write this down if you want to. It's unforgivable to be unforgivable. You won't be forgiven if you're not forgiving other people. And the people that don't forgive don't recognize how much they have been forgiven of. And so I think it's more of a decision than a feeling. How do you know? I don't know if you know through emotion, but thank God, uh, people of maturity, we do not, we're not led by emotion. We're led by principles. Amen, everybody? And so that's why we choose forgiveness because ultimately we were extended forgiveness. They don't deserve forgiveness. You don't deserve heaven either. And so I don't deserve forgiveness, but thank God uh, he doesn't give us what we deserve. Thank God he gave Jesus our punishment so that we can take on his freedom. Yeah. And so that's why I'm so thankful for the gospel message. And so I just extend forgiveness. By the way, did you know that you can forgive people ahead of time before they even commit an offense? Mm -hmm. So I just lived my life in this, this way, shape, and form because... I've seen, and I think a lot of you guys have too, if you take inventory of it, I've seen what bitterness does to people. Yeah. And it is a poison, and it is toxic, and it literally can take over a person and ruin their whole life. And so I have just decided ahead of time, before an offense comes, I'm going to be a person that's forgiving because it's unforgivable to be unforgivable. That's good. Proactive decisions, huge. And, and I don't know if you guys want to add to that, but the question, like, how do I know I've forgiven someone fully? And what I've kind of learned in my 39 years of life, I know I've forgiven someone when I'm talking to them, no longer about them. If I'm talking about somebody, I probably haven't forgiven them all the way. But when I'm moving to talk to them and the relationship is good and I'm okay, I've forgiven them. So if you're in a place where you've got a personal conflict, if you're talking about that situation or about that person, you have not forgiven them yet. Don't kid yourself. You maybe have decided to, but you haven't gone ahead and walked that out. But when you're in a place where you can talk to them, yeah. I think that's probably a little bit of evidence. Of Real quick before each goes, let me go. Um, <laughs> Don't forget it. Write Dad it down. says, he tells me all the time, he goes, love is unconditional, but relationships has conditions. And so just because you have been um, offended by somebody or there was an offense that happened doesn't mean trust has to take place again. Trust takes a long time to build. It's like a, you know, uh, um, an intricate a, Lego a packet. Yeah, exactly, right? It's like a tub with water. All of a sudden, there was a breach. Somebody pulled up the plug. All the, all the trust goes out the drain. It takes some time to build that thing back up. And so trust and forgiveness are very different from each other, but relationships has conditions, but you should love unconditionally, and you should forgive unconditionally. Right. I, was, I was actually going to say that, but I was going to do it faster, just so you know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> One thing I would say to, I would just add to as far as feelings, I mean, I love the way that Evan said, talking about, you know, f uh, forgiveness is not a feeling, it's a decision. 
However, we should be working with our feelings so that our feelings align themselves with our decisions, not the other way around. Make sense? So one of the ways that I know, and I love what you said too, you know, like you're talking to them, um, not necessarily about them. But one of the ways that I know that I've forgiven um, is when I, when I think of the person that offended me, that hurt me in some way, shape, or form, um, and I don't actually wish them anything bad. Because even though you say, like, you know, I've I, I forgiven, I made the decision. But then if for some reason you hear that something bad happens to them, if there is even a little bit of joy inside of you, that's a sign that Why are you laughing? I don't get it. That you're Why still condemning, you know. And, and the, Bible, the Bible says, the Bible talks about, you know, not judging, but also not condemning. And a lot of people don't know what condemn means. You know, in Luke uh, chapter 6, verse, verse 36, 37, talks about us not condemning so that we are not condemned, not judging so they are not judged. Uh, now, condemning is looking at somebody doing something wrong or somebody that has done something wrong and just literally just wishing, <laughs> I, well, he, he, he's going to get what you know, what, what's coming to him because of that. That wish process, at, like wishing that somebody will get what they deserve, is condemning. Uh, and it's very bad. And that's when you know that, okay, you still need to work that decision out in my heart, in my, my mind. Pastor Mark, did you want to add something to that? I know you were ruminating on well, something. Well, I was going to start by saying, I'm a, I didn't know you are 39 because I'm 39 too. Uh-huh. That's very good. So I'm psyched about that. <laughs> As am I. My, my, la- <clears throat> my last birthday, somebody said to me, how old are you? I said, I'm 39. And they said, really? I said, no, I'm lying. Um, the calendar says no. Um, well, you know, it's, this is going like, to turn us into the forgiveness panel. The, um, the, um, I'm just thinking, you know, you know, the Bible does not say forgive and forget. That's not in the Bible. And so we can't forget. We're aware that, the, and, and sometimes it is... And, so I'll talk for 30 seconds, I'm going to stop. It's appropriate to put up boundaries in your life. If there's somebody around you who continually acts in a certain way and is dragging you down, is being hurtful, et cetera, et cetera, it's appropriate to put up boundaries. And within our families, those are oftentimes the hardest ones to put. And so what do we end up doing? Boundaries might be, I limit my time with that person. Or I, limit the se- I avoid particular settings with that person because in certain settings, they act in bad ways, or they embarrass me, or they say things. And so, uh, as Christians, we're not, we're not doormats. Um, we're good. called to a higher standard, but, we, but still, um, God loves us and wants to protect us. And so, um, yeah, it's a, it, it, forgiveness is, it's, it, it's not a quickie. Right. It's a process, and there's stuff behind it. And full circle to what Pastor Devin was talking about, you know, forgiveness is unconditional, relationship isn't. So it's just, just a really good principle to kind of put into play. Uh, and our final question, uh, just because we're running out of time, uh, for Pastor Deej, uh, what would happen if when you arrive at heaven, at the gates of heaven, but you realize you only did, quote, unquote, half of what you should have done as a Christian, would you still get into heaven? And then they say, for example, you believed in God and that Jesus died for you, but you never went to church or you never did anything as a result of that belief, what would that look like? Well, that's a great question. And um, a lot of people, they have had knowledge of what is right, but they actually live out a life that contradicts that head knowledge. Okay, so it's, it's a great question to ask. Um, and I'd say that if, if we are getting ourselves ready for when the D-Day, right, the judgment day um, arrives for us, either individually or us as a, as a church, when it's second coming of Christ, um, if we are kind of getting ready to get there and and have a, a whole list, you know, three pages long or thirty pages long of all the great things that we've done and why we actually deserve to get into heaven, uh, it's going to be a sad day. It's going to be a hard day for many people. It's actually in the Bible. The Bible says that many will get there and will say, "I prophesied in your name. I did this. I did that." I mean, to contextualize today, it would be like I've served in the dream team. Every single event I was there. Every service, I was there. I gave a lot of money to the church. I gave a lot of money to the poor. I've, I've done X, Y, and Z. And, you know, I, I'm good to go into heaven. Uh, it's going to be a hard day for those people. Because Jesus is going to say, depart from me. Because I never knew you. So it's about relationship. It's not about what you do. So what, what am I saying? Whatever it is that you do here does not 
get you closer to heaven. does not give you the right to actually enter into heaven. Okay? Um, there will be two judgments, not only one. And uh, a lot of people just think of the judgment day as the, the big one and where works and your faith and all that. It's mixed up. It's not. There is one. The first one is the judgment day based on your faith. Okay? And that's when you're going to be asked, who is Jesus to you? And whether you get there and say, well, I did this, 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 and that. I know Jesus is the Son of God. Is that enough? Well, Jesus is the Son of God. You know that, but so does the devil. So to be, to be a believer is not enough. The devil is a believer himself. He actually knows Jesus face to face. They used to sing together in heaven. That's, that might be new to some of you guys. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's in the Bible. It's in, the, in Ezekiel. So... Being a believer is just not enough. Now, knowing that God does not associate himself with anything that isn't perfect. In the, in the Old Testament, they would get different animals to sacrifice and they would inspect the animals thoroughly to make sure the animal was perfect, spotless, uh, without any blemishes, without any defects, and then eventually bring it to be sacrificed. Now, the offerer would bring the offering to be sacrificed to the Lord. What was, what was examined? What, was, what needed to be perfect? The offering or the offerer? It was the offering. Fast forward to now, Jesus is our offering. We don't have to be perfect, but we have to offer up a perfect sacrifice, and that's Jesus. He already did that for us. So if we, when we get asked that question, it has nothing to do with what we've done, but it has everything to do with what Jesus already did for us. And it's up to us to accept it. He did it for us whether or not we accept it. Now, if we accept it, that's our ticket into heaven. That's the first judgment. Make sense? You guys with me? The second judgment, there will be a second judgment. And it's very, very clear in the scriptures. You find that in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I'm going to read it uh, off my phone here for you guys. Um, this is Paul talking. And Paul says... Verse 12, uh, it says this, anyone who builds on that foundation, and that foundation is Jesus Christ. Anyone that builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. This, this is our works, everything that we do, good and bad, by the way. But on the judgment day, the second judgment, fire is going to reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, the builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. And I, I want to focus a little bit on the, on the suffer great loss. Um, notice that, actually, you know, I'm going to finish the verse so that you can understand this better. Um, so it continues to say, the builder will be saved... But like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. So if all of whatever works you have, good and bad, or even if you did it for the wrong motives, okay, and you get there and the fire comes and burns it all up, it says that we're going to suffer great loss. We're not going to suffer in hell. Because it says the builder will be saved, but just like somebody barely escaping, but the builder will still be saved. But we're going to suffer great loss. Why? Because God is going to reward us in heaven according to what we've done with what we've been given here on this earth. Make sense? We are saved by grace through faith, not by works. Ephesians 2, verse 8, 9, 10. Um, not by works, but we are saved for works. For works. Make sense? So we're gonna, God is going to reward us based on what we've done here on this earth. Now, why does it say suffer great loss? Because we, on this earth, even though we may live for 80 years or 100 years or 120, um, that's a long time, right? It's nothing compared to eternity. And the rewards that we're going to get in heaven, it's for eternity. It never ends. So can you imagine forfeiting all of your rewards and all of your blessings for eternity? I would say that's a great loss. Make sense? So, again, we are not saved by works, but we are saved for works. Amen? Now, if I'm saying this right now, as, as we kind of conclude right now, if I'm saying that 
um, well, then it doesn't really matter what I do. You may be thinking, it doesn't really matter what I do. I can just live life and, and continue to do all my wrong things and continue to live the life the way I want to. Uh, since Pastor DJ is saying that it makes no difference at the end of it all. Hmm. Many of us here have been given the opportunity, and I'm going to do the same in a little bit. But many of us have been given the opportunity and actually have taken the opportunity to raise their hand when a pastor or somebody um, asks if you want to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. And the reality of heaven and hell comes to mind. And then all of a sudden we raise our hand just to, you know, make sure we're covered. Um, but if there isn't conviction, if there isn't true belief and faith, okay, so we are saved by grace. The, the verse doesn't end there. We're saved by grace through faith. So if we just raise our hands, yeah, just in case, pastor is right. And at the end of it all, I kind of need this Jesus guy. I'm, I might as well just raise my hand. And I don't have to change anything anyway. So life as, as usual. If that is how we feel, that is actually evidence that we've never been saved in the first place. And that is the true reality. Now works doesn't save you. But works is a good measure or a good gauge to show that a person has been saved. Because whenever somebody has an encounter with Jesus, a, tr a true encounter with Jesus, they change. Life changes. Everything changes. You know, the, the, the thief at the cross, that's another just evidence that, that works doesn't save you. Everybody knows about the story of the thief, the, the two thieves, right, next to Jesus Christ when Jesus was crucified. A lot of people think that there's just one, a good thief and then a bad thief. And the good thief got saved immediately and then it, it, it went to heaven. Uh, he went to heaven that day. But the truth is in two, two of the gospels, it actually shows them mocking Jesus. And then eventually in that process of crucifixion, one of them comes to realize that Jesus was sinless and recognizes him as king. And then Jesus said, today, not tomorrow, not once you... Maybe you get out of here, do a few good things, you know, make sure you return some of the money and some of the stuff you stole from people. And then, you, and then I'll see you in paradise. No, Jesus said, today I will see you in paradise. Now, I wholeheartedly believe that if that thief that changed at last minute, his last hour, if, if that thief by any chance had been given the opportunity to step off the cross, his life would be different because he encountered Jesus. Make sense? So many of us here today, like I, I, get, I get different people in my office. And when I'm having conversations with them, salvation is a big deal to me. And it should be to all of us. It's a big deal. More than their marital problems, more than their financial problems, more than whatever problem they're going through, salvation is the most important thing. So I usually ask a few questions. One of them is, do you believe in God? 99% of them say, yes, I do. Second question, do you believe in heaven and hell? 99% of them say, yes, I do. And then the third question is this. So if you believe in heaven, how do you get there? And it's interesting how many of us Christians, how many of us will actually say, oh, I just need to, you know, live a good Christian life and, you know, do good with what God has given me and all of that stuff. That's the wrong answer. That's the wrong answer. It has nothing to do with what you do, but it has everything to do with what Jesus already did at the cross. Can I have an amen from somebody? So with every eye closed, every head bowed for just a second, nothing spooky going on, nothing overly spiritually, uh, spiritual going on right now. I just want to give everybody a little bit of space and privacy. Maybe if I were to ask you those three questions, do you believe in God, do you believe in heaven, and how do you get there? Maybe your answer up to this moment would be, if you really think, maybe it would be, oh, I just have to do good, be better, get better, stop sinning, stop doing X, Y, or Z. And even though you call yourself a Christian, you come to church and you believe in Jesus, Belief in Jesus is not enough. We need to shift our trust to actually get to heaven 
from our behavior to Jesus' behavior. And maybe you're here and maybe you're hearing this for the first time. Maybe it's the first time that it's actually making sense to you. And even though you may have raised your hand in the past, but it was not for the right reason. I'm going to give you a chance right now on the count of three. If you want to raise your hand and just acknowledge God as your Savior, Jesus Christ as your Savior, the sacrifice of, of the cross as payment for all of your sins. If you're ready to give up trying to do it on your own and just be better and get better and stop doing wrong things. If you're ready to give up and surrender to Jesus Christ right now, just between me, you, and God, every head bowed, every eye closed. If that's you right now, just boldly raise your hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see, I see all of these hands right here on the left, center, right. So many hands being raised. Thank you so much for doing that. Thank you for the courage of doing that. So holding on to this truth right now, it's so, so important to you. And don't let it just die down today. Live a life that reflects that. Your good works should not be done out of, out of, out of obligation, but it should be done out of gratitude towards what God, what God did for you. God created you for good works and he saved you for that. So if you raise your hand and then also everybody here that is within the sound of my voice, please repeat these words with me. Say, Jesus, I know that I make mistakes. And I know that no matter how much I try, I will never be able to earn my way into heaven. I know you don't relate to imperfection. So anytime you look at me, from now on, you don't see my mistakes. You don't see my flaws. Jesus jumps in front of me. And you see his perfection. I thank you that your son Jesus Christ died for me. So from now on, I live for him. Not out of obligation, but out of gratitude. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, give God a big hand.